from verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, It's a real privilege and an honour to be here with you this morning and uh, sharing in God's word and explaining a bit uh, of God's word to you. Uh, You'll be pleased to know today's message is in English. Uh, But before we dive in, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the great privilege it is to read your word and have your word. Lord, for through it we know who you are and what you are like. Uh, And we learn how we should respond to you. And Lord, we thank you that your word is powerful, that wherever your word is read or preached, that there your Holy Spirit is. And so your word doesn't go back to you without accomplishing its purposes. And so we pray that you would do that for us today, uh, accomplish your purposes in our lives uh, for your glory and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, if you're anything like me, then you know what it's like to start something and not finish it. I'll start with quite a shameful example. I've got a Kindle, right? So one of those e-readers. And when you open the Kindle up, it comes to your homepage and there's a grid of all the books that you've got on the go at the moment. Um, And in the corner of those little book icons, there's a little bookmark that tells you how far through the book you are. And in a lot of my books... I'm somewhere between 50 to 70% through and I have a hard time finishing them and I think, man, come on, you're part of a reading group and you can't even finish your books. But that's just one example. We can think of heaps of times in life where people start things and don't finish them. I'm sure there's a few of us here uh, who have joined a gym Um, and you go in all guns blazing, and the first four weeks you're in there kind of four times a week, and then slowly as the weeks go by, the months drift by, and you're not really going anymore, and then you've got to go in and do the walk of shame and go into the gym and cancel your membership. And at this time of year, we can be especially reminded of unfinished business. Coming towards the end of the year, you're reminded of that renovation you started back in May, that's still only half done, or that language app that you downloaded in July to learn Chinese and you only opened it twice. But that's just life though, isn't it? All of us are guilty at some stage of starting something and not finishing it. We know this is true of life in general, but what about our lives particularly as Christians? You might feel at times, in terms of your spiritual growth, that you're a bit like a job that's been left half-finished. And the progress towards finishing the job can be sometimes slow, discouraging, and sometimes you get the feeling like it's two steps forward and two steps back. 
In fact, John Piper, that great American preacher, he said the one thing that makes him doubt the existence of God more than anything else is the slow progress of his own spiritual growth. That's surprising, hey? Well, today we look at a few verses in the start of Philippians that speak directly to this issue. And this section of God's word gives us every reason to be confident in what God is doing in our lives and the life of his church through the transforming power of the gospel. So looking at verse 3 of chapter 1, we see that Paul, after he's addressed the Philippians in the opening couple of verses, he writes to them and he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So before we dive in, let me tell you a bit about Paul's history with this church. Philippi was an old city in Macedonia in Greece, and it was about halfway between Jerusalem to the east and Rome to the west. Paul went to Philippi on his second missionary journey in about the year 49 AD. It's funny, before going there, he actually tried to go somewhere else, to a place in in Western Asia, And twice he was actually forbidden by the Spirit of God from going there. And then he had this dream of a Macedonian man begging him for help. And so Paul and his helpers head to Macedonia and they wind up in Philippi. And Acts chapter 16 tells the story of how they stayed there in Philippi for a few days. They met Lydia. She believed the gospel and her and her whole family were baptised. And then they ran into some opposition from these guys. They owned a slave girl, and this girl was possessed by a fortune-telling spirit, and she was following them around, and the spirit inside her was shouting, these men are the servants of the Most High God, and they're telling you the way to be saved. And so Paul gets a bit peeved, and so he turns around, and he commands the spirit to come out of her. And then so these guys can't make any money off this girl anymore because she can't tell people's fortunes. And so they get Paul and his helpers thrown into prison. And then there's an earthquake while they're in prison. And those circumstances led to the conversion of the Philippian jailer. And him and his whole whole household get baptised. And so we see the gospel goes out and the church is established in Philippi before Paul and his crew move on to the next city and the next town spreading the good news of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amazing stories, aren't they? So back in Philippians, and this letter that Paul writes happens sometime later, and he's actually writing from prison in Rome. And we see later in the book of Philippians that one of their church members had actually nearly died travelling from Philippi to Rome to give Paul a gift. And so Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you, In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Considering that Paul's writing from prison, and Roman prisons weren't nice places to be, does that surprise you? You've got a guy in prison, and the first thing he's actually talking about is being thankful to God and praying with joy. He could have easily written a letter about you know, how hard life was for him in prison, about, you know, the handcuffs digging into his wrists, how the food they gave him wasn't fit for dogs, how his uh, back was aching from all the beatings he'd taken. But the first thing Paul says to the Philippians is that he's thankful to God for them, that he remembers them all, and when he remembers them, it's with joy. It's a great example, isn't it? I think... 
it's possible to be the kind of person who spends a lot of time dwelling on everything that's wrong with the world, isn't it? Maybe you know someone like this. Whether it's back pain or some other kind of health problem or problems at work, real issues and real hardships, don't get me wrong, but it's possible for these things to kind of take up an unhealthy amount of focus. You can stew on them, complain about them to other people, and generally just spend an undue amount of time and energy focusing on everything that's wrong. Something that's been noticeable, especially in the last few years, as we've got this culture that's trending away from Christian values and there's this rise of secular, progressive-type politics, is that you meet a lot of Christians who spend an unhealthy amount of time dwelling on that stuff. It's kind of hard to have a conversation with them without them bringing up these issues. And it becomes a bit toxic. It breeds fear and a kind of resentment for those people and this unholy discontent with the world that we live in. Again, this isn't to say that these aren't real issues. Of course they are. But what we see here from Paul is a great example of someone whose main focus, even in the middle of his trials, was on the gospel and on other Christians, being thankful for them and remembering them with joy. Isn't this a better way? Instead of dwelling on the things that are wrong with our lives and wrong with the world, which only makes us miserable, our sharing in the gospel kind of lifts us up and out of ourselves and gives us another, better focus. The thing that gets us most excited is the work that God is doing. Seeing that work in other people and being part of that work ourselves, being on mission and in partnership in the gospel. And it's that partnership in the gospel that Paul gives as the reason for his thankfulness and joy. In verse 5, Paul says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We've seen already how the church in Philippi was established. People there believed the gospel. God opened their hearts so they embraced the good news about Jesus, about his death on a cross, about his resurrection, about their need to repent of their sin. Trust in Jesus for forgiveness and follow him in new obedience. People believed the gospel the first day that Paul arrived in Philippi and they began to partner in it and it's for that reason that Paul is thankful and remembers them with joy. You know, 2,000 years on and nothing's changed. And what I mean by that is that from the time of Paul until now, the spread of the gospel hasn't stopped. For the past 2,000 years, all over the world... By God's grace, people have been embracing the gospel. And the proof of that is right here in this room. The fact that there's a group of us here today who have believed in Jesus and put our trust in him is reason for thanks and joy. Whether you've been a Christian for one week or for 50 years, the fact that you've been able to believe the gospel in the first place is a work of God And it's a reason for thanks and joy. And it's not just here, either, not just in this room. As a church, we know of people in places like India and the Middle East who are coming to faith in Christ. I think it was just last week we prayed for 68 new believers in India, 68 new baptisms. And if you think broader to places like China and Africa, 
there's hundreds of millions of people putting their faith in Jesus. They reckon about 60 million in China and they reckon about 350 million in Africa. It's amazing what God is doing in the world. By his grace and through his spirit and using willing gospel workers, there's countless souls being saved and countless people beginning to partner in the gospel. And it's a reason for thanks and joy. It's the type of joy that Jesus was talking about in some of the stories he told. In Luke chapter 15, you get this group of parables or stories all grouped together and they're all about something being lost and then being found. There's a farmer who loses his sheep. There's a woman who loses her coin. And then there's that famous parable of the prodigal son. And in each case, when what was lost is now found, how do people react? They call their friends and their family and their neighbours and they say, rejoice with me. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. And the point that Jesus was making is that it's a happy, joyful thing when we see people receive the gospel. It's a joyful thing to see people believe the gospel in the first place, and it's also a joyful thing to see them continue to partner in it. Back in Philippians, and Paul says to them in verses 4 and 5, he says to the church that he's thankful and he always prays with joy for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The implication is that after they believed the gospel, they kind of picked it up and ran with it. They followed Jesus into a life of obedience and service, even in the face of hardship. Paul makes reference later in the book of Philippians uh, to the fact that they had a concern for the gospel and they had a concern for the cause of Jesus. Uh, And so they were willing to give generously to Paul and so advance the cause of Jesus. Paul was thankful for that. And he remembered the Philippians in prayer with joy. When we see people partnering in the gospel, it's a reason for thanks and joy, isn't it? And there's loads of ways that I, and I'm sure you guys can think of, that people right here in Launceston are doing just that. There's lots of people here who will often share their homes. They've got this really nice, lovely, open-door kind of policy where they're having people around for meals all the time or they're hosting growth groups or whatever it is. There's lots of people who serve on rosters. There's a bit of a culture here of one-on-one mentorship where people will get together and read the Bible together and talk about you know, what it means to do life uh, following Jesus Lots of Christians are crazy generous. They're happily helping people in need, whether that's inside or outside the church. And there's lots of Christians who give really generously to the church and to the work of missions. I've been really encouraged in the last few years to meet more than a handful of people from right here in this church who are really passionate about evangelism. Whether it's at work or uni or just helping people out on the block, I love hearing stories of people sharing their faith and sharing the gospel with people who don't know God. I was speaking to a lady a little while back, probably a year ago, and I said, oh, what did you do for your Saturday? And she said, you know what I do a lot of Saturdays? I go down to the harvest market and I keep an eye out for people who might be tourists or might be on their own or a bit of a battler, and I make an effort to go up to them, try and befriend them, engage them in a conversation, be friendly to them, talk to them about Launceston, and if the opportunity arises share my faith and talk to them about church and possibly invite them along. I've been talking to a guy recently who's 
been evangelizing to his neighbor. And every time you see him, there's a different story about his attempts to evangelize. So I was talking to him a few weeks ago, and um, he'd been out for dinner with his neighbor, and his neighbor had actually had a bit too much to drink and had become quite belligerent and had all these objections about Christianity. And this guy had, you know, really struggled with that, and he'd come back and he'd been telling me, and he said, man, that was tough. That was really tough. It made me feel like I didn't want to evangelize ever again. Then a couple of weeks later, he'd gone to his neighbour's birthday party and again, his neighbour had had a bit too much to drink and his neighbour had a friend there and so this guy ends up evangelising to his friend and now he's meeting up with his friend one-on-one, telling him about the gospel. And it's just so encouraging to hear of this guy's passion for evangelism. But it's not just stories of people actively doing stuff to partner in the gospel. Even meeting other Christians and seeing that they've believed the gospel and seeing the work that God's doing in their life is really encouraging as well. Like you can go on holidays and meet people who you've never met before, but it's so encouraging to see that they worship the same God and that God is actively at work in their lives. And you have this instant connection. You feel like you're immediately close friends with these people. Or it's encouraging to get to know someone quite well through, say, going to a growth group. And over time, you see them grow in their knowledge of God and their trust in him. And it's a really joyful thing to see. And when we reflect on this, Paul's example of prayer is one for us to follow as well. Take time to pray for the work that Christians are doing. Pray for your pastors and elders. Pray for missionaries. Pray for the people in your growth group. Pray for your family. Give thanks to God for them. And know that their partnership in the gospel is a reason for joy. And when you're done praying, get involved. Ask yourself, how can I partner in the gospel? What can I do for Jesus? We're not all meant to be missionaries or pastors or ministry team leaders, but we are called to use our gifts and service, gifts and talents in service of God's kingdom. It's worth reflecting on why this is such a big deal, though, isn't it? Like, why did it give Paul so much joy to see the Philippians' partnership in the gospel and drive him to prayer? Well, when we see people partnering in the gospel... It goes beyond the ordinary, doesn't it? It's actually a supernatural work of God and it's evidence that God will build his church and is building his church. God's at work in ordinary people like you and me and when we meet other Christians and get to know them and hear about what God's doing in their lives, it helps us to see that our God is alive and he's active. And when we see people doing generous things like helping out needy souls or giving money to missions, we actually see the love and the generosity of God on display. When we see people evangelizing and sharing the gospel, we know that they're being compelled by God to share the good news that's the power of salvation to everyone who believes. It's not just people doing stuff, it's God doing stuff. It's God using people to work out his plan for gathering and building his church. What could be more important? What a good reason to say, thank you, God. What a good reason to celebrate. 
Well, up until this point, we've been looking at Paul's thankfulness and joy for what's happening in the lives of the Philippian church in the past and in the present. And now he changes his attention to the future. In verse 6, he says that he's confident of this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The Philippians' belief in the good news of Jesus, their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, that good work was started by God and it was going to be finished by God. Paul has total confidence that this is going to happen. And it's a confidence that we see repeated in other places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8 and 9 says that we will be sustained till the end and guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is faithful and it's him who called us into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 to 24 says, May the God of peace sanctify you completely and may your whole soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. In these passages, there's a sense that our confidence in the future is based on what God's already done in the past. And our confidence is also based on God's character. It's God who's at work in our lives in really personal ways. And it's God who's faithful and will keep that work going until it's done on the day of Jesus Christ. This isn't a gym membership or a home improvement project. It's a work of God and God is faithful and he will finish the job. How do we know he's faithful? Well, we get a good reminder of it around this time of year, don't we? God showed his faithfulness to us 2,000 years ago by sending his son into the world to save sinners. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him freely up, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You want to see proof of God's faithfulness? Look at Jesus as God coming into our world. Look at him on the cross, bleeding and dying for our sins. Look at him being raised again to reign at the right hand of God. And if he's willing to go to that length to save sinners like us, doesn't it make sense that he would then hold on to us to keep working on us? So ask yourself, have you believed the gospel? Have you repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus for forgiveness? Have you begun to follow and serve Jesus, even in small ways? These can be hard questions to answer. But it's worth saying that if you don't believe the gospel, if you're still hanging on to sin or if you're rejecting God and putting your trust in other things, then it would actually be great to talk more to you about this stuff. You could pray too that God would begin that good work in you, that he would save you and draw you close to himself through faith in Jesus. If you have believed the gospel, if you can say, I believe that Jesus Christ came into the world to save me, a sinner, and I trust him, then know that what's happened in your life is a work of God. If you can say, I believe that Jesus is the king of this world and the king of my life, and you've begun to follow him and become more like him, 
then know that this is a work of God. And because it's a work of God and God is faithful, you can have absolute, 100% guaranteed, rubber stamp assurance that when you wake up in the morning, you'll be a Christian. This time next year, you'll be a Christian. And at the end of your time here on earth, you'll still be a Christian. And the more you see God at work, not just in your life, but in the life of his church, the more your confidence grows that he'll finish what he started. So what? This is really good news about our assurance of salvation for the future, but what are we supposed to do with it in the here and now? Well, like we spoke about at the start, maybe you're a person who's really discouraged by the slow progress of the work that God is doing. And sometimes that discouragement can be paralysing. If you're too acutely aware of how far you still have to go, it kind of robs you of gospel joy and it prevents you from getting involved in partnering in the gospel. You actually hold back from getting involved because you look at yourself and how far you still have to go and you think, man, look at me, I'm a mess. How could God use me? Well, know that God is at work in that mess. And it's often in the messiness of our lives that God's working most to grow our faith in him and make us more like Jesus. Sometimes that work is really slow and painful. I know quite a few Christians who have struggled with the same issues, the same kind of character flaws for months, years, sometimes even decades. But it's in that struggle that they've actually learnt to become less reliant on themselves and to rely on God. I know a Christian guy who, he would say that he's been quite an arrogant person, quite a prideful person over the years. He's kind of bigoted in his opinions and he would quite often shut other people down and not listen to them. And it was actually only through dealing with a wayward, rebellious child for many years that God kind of softened him. He humbled him and now this guy is more willing to listen and more willing to take on board the opinions of other people. I know more than a few Christians who have really struggled in business. Uh, You know, they've taken huge financial losses or they've been on the brink of bankruptcy. And it's through that that God's taught them to be less reliant on money and to find their security in him. And I know a lady who struggled with anxiety for a lot of years and still does to some degree. And she was talking to me the other day and she said, look, I think God's been teaching me, particularly in the last 12 months, going through some hardship and actually facing some of the things that made her most anxious that she learnt to put her trust in him and commit her future to him. This isn't the only way that God works in our life. These are just some examples. And when these people look back, when you look back, you can see that God's been at work at times and seasons in your life to make you more like Jesus. And you can say, by God's grace, I'm not what I should be, but by his work, I'm not what I was. And that's encouraging. 
It encourages you to keep clinging to him. It motivates you to be active participants in the work that God's doing in your life. Join in that work now with the full assurance that you're moving towards the day where God will finally finish the work that he started. Maybe you're not a slow progress person. Maybe you're one of these people who you got saved and your life just does a total U-turn. God just totally grabs hold of your life. Your old self is gone and you've been set on fire for God. If that's you, then be encouraged. Be encouraged that what's happened in your life is a work of God. It's supernatural. Be encouraged that your story is an encouragement and brings other Christians joy. And so be encouraged to persevere. Persevere with the full assurance that you're moving towards that day where God will finally finish the work that he started. Because when you're assured of an outcome or you can see where you'll end up, it motivates you to work towards it in the here and now. I'll say that again. When you're assured of an outcome, or you can see where you're going to end up, it motivates you to work towards it in the here and now. Like my three-year-old niece, sometimes she has a fair bit of trouble getting through her dinner. It's probably a pretty familiar story. And so her mum will say, if you finish your dinner, you can have some ice cream. And she thinks, yeah, yeah, that's great. But then she's still struggling, so then what mum does is she goes and gets the ice cream out of the fridge and sits it on the table in front of her, and she can see the ice cream there, she can see the goal, and so that really motivates her to chow down on her broccoli or sausages or whatever it is. Or the first lady to swim the English Channel, she was an American called Florence Chadwick. She once had a crack at swimming 26 miles from an island off the coast of California to the Californian mainland. And 26 miles, just by way of reference, that's roughly from here to Georgetown, which is crazy. She was swimming that. And the first time she tried it, she got about halfway, and then this thick fog came down. And because she couldn't see where she was going anymore, she couldn't see the shoreline, she lost her motivation, and she got a bit panicky, and she had to pull out. And it turns out that she pulled out only about 500 metres before she actually reached the shore. And she thought, man, I've got to try this again. And so she tried it a second time, and the same thing happened. The thick fog came down, but this time she actually made it. And she got to the shore, and there's all these reporters, you can see it, they um, came up to her and they're like, Florence, you know, how did you manage it? And do you know what she said? She said, I just had to keep a picture in my mind of that shoreline. I just had to visualise where I was going. When we have an assurance of where we're headed, or we know where we're going to end up, it motivates us to work towards it. Well, this passage gives us an assurance of where we're headed, doesn't it? That day of Jesus Christ is coming... And all the time we have left here on earth is moving us closer to that day. And all the while, God's at work in us. He's at work in his church, saving us and building us and completing us and making us perfect. And as he's at work in us, we can get on board with that, knowing that he started it and he will finish it And on that day of Jesus Christ, with all our fellow believers, we'll be with Jesus 
standing before him, perfect and spotless forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the assurance that comes from knowing that you are faithful. The assurance that comes from knowing that the work that's happened in our lives in enabling us to believe the gospel, the work that's happened in the life of your church, Lord, that's your work and you're faithful and you finish what you start. Lord, for those of us who are struggling to hang on to that truth at the moment, for those of us who are just so discouraged with the slow progress of the work that you're doing in our lives, Lord, pray that you would encourage them this morning. Lord, help them to cling on to you and cling on to your faithfulness and so have that assurance that you'll finish what you started. And Lord, for those of us who the work that you've done is really obvious, for those whose lives have done a U-turn, Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you that what's happened in their lives is your work. Lord, it brings us joy to see what you've done in their lives. And so, Lord, encourage them as well. Encourage all of us, we pray, to keep going in the work that you've set before us and look towards that day where we'll be with you, perfect and spotless, with our Saviour forever. Amen.